Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Achieve Your Goals podcast listeners. John Berghoff here, standing in for Hal Elrod. I got to spend some time with Hal last week in Austin and happy to tell everybody he is on his way to recovery, healing. He's got great support, a lot of positive things around him at this important time in his life. If for some reason you're tuning in and you don't know why I'm standing in for Hal or who I am, you're always welcome to go back and listen to episode 152. Today, we have a treat for you. You are about to listen in on a conversation that was recorded at our Quantum Leap Mastermind live mastermind meeting that took place just a couple weeks ago in Austin. This is an interview that I did on stage with David Osborne. You're going to hear David's story in this interview. You're going to hear him sharing his wisdom, which super exciting. You can find that wisdom not only in this conversation, but in his book, Wealth Can't Wait which depending on when you're listening to this episode, it releases, well, I'm saying tomorrow, but if you're listening to this, it's either today or whenever. That's all confusing. You get my point. This episode is releasing the day after his book, Wealth Can't Wait, is going live. So go check out Wealth Can't Wait. You're going to love this episode. I first met David. It was kind of a funny story. It was through Hal. And Hal wanted to get both David and myself interested in the UFC. I wasn't a UFC fan. Many of you know Hal has been a UFC fan for a long time. So in classical Hal Elrod fashion, he flies me to Vegas. He says, I'm just going to pay for you to come so that you can't debate whether or not this is worth your money or your time. And so he flies me in. And that was my first time meeting David Osborne was Hal, myself, David, a good friend of ours, Matt Recor, watching a Conor McGregor fight in Las Vegas. And I remember from that trip, the fights were cool. It was great. But I had a lot more fun the next day hanging out with David and his awesome wife, Tracy. By the way, congrats to David and Tracy. They just celebrated the birth of Luke, who has an older sister, Bella. They're an incredible family. He cares a lot about not only the success of his business, but the health and well-being of his family. You're going to love this conversation. At least I hope you love this conversation. Enjoy. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, how about a big round of applause for our special guest, David Osborne. I was talking to Hal just now back in the room and you know really what I do for Hal is I get him food because I'm really into eating healthy and I was talking to him you get way too much credit in life for just getting people food you know like if you you just get people food they love you right like you could be dating a girl I don't know if you remember as a guy back in the day you're like ah, she's not very nice she treats my friends terribly she doesn't look after the house but the food is amazing I think I'm gonna marry her it's incredible because good food man it's like so I mean I love Hal and Ursula and it's just great to know them but I don't know that I do that much. I mean, I, we get food. We're just there for him. I'm a stand for Hal. I told him that when it happened. Like, I'm very goal-driven. I actually have you on my goals. I don't know if I've ever shown you that, but it says, be there for Hal Elrod and the Elrod family and Sophie and Ursula and Howie. And really, all I do is whatever I'm asked. But the one thing I thought I could do was, you know, serve. we got a great vegetarian organic chef, and she makes me food. So I just, as soon as I heard about this, I said, hey, just whatever you make for us, make double. And that's what we've been doing now for a while, and it's pretty good food, and so that's awesome. food goes a long way. That's awesome. That's really cool. It's a testament to 
I think you were here this morning, Hal was sharing some of his strategies, which are on one hand sophisticated, on another hand, very heartfelt, in that right. bringing love to his relationships is something he's always cared about. And it's really cool to get to see how that's reciprocated, you know? I don't know that anyone's impacted me as quickly in my life as how. You know, as you get older in life, they say you've made most of your friends. It's not that easy for new people to get in. You have a full life. But I met Hal just like a year and a half ago, it seems like, and we were keynote speakers together at a conference, and I would tease him constantly about who was better, but I actually know he's way better than me. But it was fun, like, (laughs) I was better than you. They clapped longer when they clapped for me. And... um, (laughs) He was, we were teasing each other, but then I got to know who he is and I got to know the man's heart. And he's got just such a good heart, you know, and that's really what makes it easy to love somebody and easy to care for somebody. And, you know, he did weird stuff like sent me a pair of track pants. I was trying to find them, I was going to wear them today. <laughs> they got like a P on them. What's that brand? Like he just loved the, that brand. The perfect like, pants. The perfect pants. You yeah. got to wear these pants. And these shoes I'm wearing are because of Hal. He's like, oh, you got to get these shoes. He's like, you got to have these thin shoes that they're kind of comfortable unless you wear them too long. Then you're kind of like starts hurting. <laughs> and all these weird things Hal does that he's like a kid, like whatever he's into, he's super excited. Like, we've got to have that. And um, we live near each other and I have a boat dock and I'm looking at this ridiculously expensive ski boat that is secondhand. So it's like 90 grand. It was 150 grand last year. And Hal's like, we got to have it. I'm like, are you sure we got to have it? Couldn't we get like a $30,000 boat? He's like, no, no, man, we got to have the $90,000 boat. You know, like that's Hal. He's just like a big kid. He lives life to the fullest. So it's very easy to love a guy like that. So Hal and Ursula, you guys, great to have you in my life. And anything I can do for you, I'm a stand for you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Can we give that a round of applause? That is so cool. Well, David, uh, thanks for taking time to be with us today. As I've gotten to know you through Hal and through Mike and the GoBundance crew, it's been really cool to see you being willing to share with anybody your life lessons about how you've chosen to live your life, how you've approached setting goals, achieving them in a really big, 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 big way. And I've got in my hand here, this is an advanced reader's copy of a book, Wealth Can't Wait. Begin your future today. And I'd love for us to have a conversation and just hear about the journey that led to this book, the wisdom that's in this book. And I'm sure we'll have time for some questions as well. You guys fired up? Yeah. Yeah, I I have the opposite of Hal's story. Like, how long did it take you to write The Miracle Morning? Okay. All right. Somebody the other day told me, like, I wrote my book in two weeks. I'm like, two weeks? You're insane. So this has been a seven-year project. This has been a seven-year project for me. Like, I saw Sam Zell. Does anyone know Sam Zell? He is a real estate guy. I'm a real estate guy, so he's one of my heroes. He's just a feisty little immigrant from Poland, I believe. And he's worth like $5 billion. But he said, I just wrote a book, and I think it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I'm like, oh, I had to go up to him afterwards. Like, thank you for saying that, because I just wrote a book too, and I think it's the hardest thing I've ever done. This has taken me seven years. I've read it personally 12 times. I don't want to read it again. I'm so sick of reading my own book. But I am proud of it. And the impetus from this book was a few years ago, my dad got cancer, actually, in 2006. And uh, he was a Green Beret colonel, and we were very close. We traveled around the world together, military brats. And uh, as he was sitting there dying, like, I knew he was going to die. It just took three years. And as I sat with him, he had, like, metastasized cancer in his bone and in his lungs and in his brain. So it was already, like, there was nothing. And I realized, like, he had so many stories that he was going to take with him. And I wanted to hear those stories forever. 
And I got a videographer to come and video him. So I got like a big bunch of those stories, which he hated, right? He was like, oh, you think I'm going to die? I'm like, well, I'm not sure, dad, but you got metastasized cancer. It might happen. I'm not going to die. Anyway, he did it for me. But I thought to myself, what if I got hit by a bus tomorrow? Like, what if I got killed? Well, I got young kids. What would they know about me? So I wrote this book from the perspective of like, what would I leave behind for my children? Like, what would they have that would know who was dad and how did he make it work? And so that's really where I came from, from this. And that's why probably I was so perfectionistic. And Hal said that quote earlier, what was it? Stop being perfect and start being authentic, right? So I'm really happy with it, but it's been a labor of pain and love and I'm glad it's finally done, but I am proud of it. Yeah, congrats. Thanks. There's a quote right here. It's the first quote of the book on chapter one. The title of the chapter is A Matter of Choice. Every decision you make takes you one step closer to being wealthy or one step further away. Before you wrote this book, you made a lot of decisions in your life that qualified you to write this book. Give us a taste of that journey that led up to having this kind of wisdom to share. So I was kind of a goofy kid. I was also military. Anyone in here a military brat? Anyone a corporate brat? Somebody, you, with somebody. You moved a lot. Anyone move a lot? So I moved like Randy. I moved like 10 times by the time I was 13, right? That's what you do in the military. You just move all the time. So I was kind of like a rolling stone a little bit. And then I got to America and I'd lived mostly in England and Germany by the time I was 14. So I was very like kind of goofy. Like I wasn't really connected. I didn't really have a culture to fall back on. I didn't know what cool was. I didn't know what uncool was. So I just got into America. I actually even had a British accent back then. And, um, through my life, there's been a lot of like ups and downs, but the one thing I've always been able to count on is sort of me, if that makes any sense. Like if I listen to my inner voice and I follow the wisdom from that inner voice and I make good decisions, by the way, sometimes I totally ignore it and I make terrible decisions. But generally speaking, the more often I listen to the inner wisdom, the more my life has become successful, if that makes any sense. So I believe there's an inner wisdom that you have that every one of us has. Call it God, call it meditation, call it whatever you personally want to call it. But if you'll just tune into that and listen to it more often than not, because no one listens to it all the time, but listen to it more often than not, that voice will guide you to a place where life becomes more and more successful. And it's not massive change overnight. It's actually millions of small incremental decisions that lead you to a very positive outcome. Not in six months or one month, but in 10 years, 20 years, and 30 years. And today I would say my life is the best it's ever been in my entire life so far. And it's because of just a thousand small, tiny decisions that I've built on in spite of my detours and my bad decisions, but I've built on the good decisions and I've self-corrected from the bad decisions. And today my life's pretty epic and pretty awesome. So far, I could screw it up tomorrow. And I think it goes from just a thousand, you just, your commitment is to living a great life. And if you make that commitment, then you'll get answers to your questions and you follow those answers and your life becomes great. I think it's inevitable, but it all starts with that decision. So you talk about making decisions. What is one of the best, smartest decisions you've ever made? Well, everyone here is already making it. That's to be learning based for a lifetime, to commit to knowledge for a lifetime, I'd say is the number one most important thing, reading a bazillion books. Like when I was in high school, I was a dungeon master. Anyone else in here a dungeon master? Like people won't even admit this, right? Yeah, like I was, but there's no way I'm going out there on that limb with you, buddy. So I played fantasy war playing games, and I also used to read a ton of sci-fi and fantasy. And I did that all the way up till I was about 19 or 20. And then I just put it behind me 
And I started reading sort of more self-help books like Think and Grow Rich and, you know, Tony Robbins' Unlimited Power, I remember, was one of my first. And all of a sudden, I found that instead of living in this alternate escapist-based universe, I could actually live in the real world and learn things and apply those things. And as I applied them, my life got better. And it really was like, and again, I should add to this that I was a bad student, too. I got thrown out of multiple high schools. So I went to school, and I had a Green Beret father, so authority was already like, I had an idea what authority was, and it was a lot more impressive than the teachers that I had in school, right? So I was like, I'm not really scared of you in any way at all. And unfortunately, I was a rebel without a clue, so I also would push back a lot. And if I didn't like a teacher, I was pretty mouthy. And so obviously, teachers don't like that. I was at private schools, and they tend to ask you not to come back if you're a highly disruptive influence. So I was disruptive. I got thrown out. I didn't see the value in learning. I hated hypocrisy. I had no real fear of authority. And then I got out of all that stage too, and I went to college. I didn't really get that either. But once I got into business, and I saw that if I read Unlimited Power and I applied some of the concepts from Tony Robbins, or I read Think and Grow Rich, and I started holding myself accountable, I got immediate outcome in my life that was positive. I made more money. I felt more confident. I had better friendships through my masterminding. As soon as I saw that, I got addicted to learning. And today, I'm like one of the most learning-based individuals you'll ever meet. Like, Give me something new and I will put it to work right away. Like, I can't wait to learn to be a better husband. I can't wait to be a better father, a better friend, manage my time better, to keep my health better. And that's all because I finally realized how applied learning can transform your life. And I transformed mine. I mean, it really did. I was a lost, goofy, nerdy, Dungeons and Dragons playing kid that did a lot of drugs too in my 15 through 19 age. And today I'm the opposite of that. I'm purposeful. I'm committed. I try to do a lot of good in the world. I love business. I love making money. I look after my health. I try to be a great dad. I try to be a great friend. And all of that is from going from like learning stuff that I obviously A, didn't value or like really honestly knowing how to kill a red dragon doesn't serve you that much in life. So like I had a wizard character that could kill a red dragon. It was great. <laughs> it seems so easy, but, but now I've learned like how to start businesses and how to employ great people and how to create a vision for my life and how to follow that vision and how to spend quality time with my loved ones and all these things you learn from books. Like you can pick up a book. What was the one, Mike, you recommended the other day? It was the board meeting, the family board meeting, right? So I read that. Anyone, parents in here, parents. All right, we got some action there. So what's amazing about being a parent, I don't know if you feel this, but you feel like you're screwing up all the time. You're like, you are screwing up. I'm like, I am going to screw you up, kid. I just don't know how yet. I'm trying not to, really. You have anxiety over that. Like, you know, it's funny. Am I being too nice to my kid? Am I being too hard on him? Am I being too generous? Am I not being generous enough? Like, it's just. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I love that. One of the best decisions you've ever made is a commitment to lifelong learning. Any favorite books or resources currently or in the You mean other than The Miracle Morning? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love The Miracle Morning. And you know what I love about it is you could be like a kid just out of high school. You could be a homeless person or you could be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You could be the ruler of a country. You could be any of those things. Read that book and apply it and change your life. Like I loved it from the simplicity of that. I had a morning ritual, but The Miracle Morning has not only improved that ritual, but it's given me that an acronym savers. And I wake up in the morning, like, you know, ideally at 5.30 and I'm sitting there going, okay, let's see how many of these savers I can knock out before I get out of bed. So I'll do like my silence, my affirmations, my visualizations. I'm like out of bed at 5.45 and I've done three of the six, you know? So 
I love the miracle morning. I think it's been great from that message. It's so powerful, so simple, so straightforward, and it benefits every single person that does it. So that's, I'm a raving fan of that. Think and grow rich, of course. What's better than that? And then the other one for me is the cash flow quadrant. Anyone read Kiyosaki's books? Like, to me, business is this. You have the possibility of being financially free in the United States of America. So you can be financially free. That means you can do almost whatever you want. There's not a lot of countries where that's true, by the way. At least 60% of the world probably don't have that opportunity. So that's like 4 billion people that don't have the opportunity we have in America. And then even if you add in Europe, which is a wonderful place, obviously an amazing quality of life, the possibility of succeeding above the average is much harder in Europe than it is in America. We have a giant marketplace. We have fairly low regulations. We have fairly low taxes compared to like England, where, yeah, it's 50% in England, but it kicks in at $50,000 or $60,000 a year, right? So they hit you early over there. So you have the opportunity to be financially free. And the cash flow quadrant shows you clearly, in my opinion, that you can either be an employee, self-employed, business owner, an investor. And that's really the journey you should be on. You know, employed, self-employed, business owner, and then investor. And ultimately, you want to be that investor quadrant. And that means you're financially free and you have that possibility. And I think Kiyosaki captured that. Again, simple, simple truth that you can see. I can see that quadrant at all times. And I'm always asking myself, how do I get more and more on the I quadrant? How do you become more of an investor? So you talk about that in the book. You talk about the difference between cash flow-based living and asset-based living. Yeah. Share a little bit about that. So every one of us should ultimately be asset-based living. There's something called the Forbes 400, the 400 billionaires in America. Every single one of those guys on that list is on the list because they have a billion dollars of assets, Now, I don't want to get lost in money and whether it's good to be a billionaire. There's a lot of miserable billionaires. Tony Robbins said, I met a bunch of billionaires and half of them are miserable, right? So, and I've met people that are so competitive and so driven, they seem miserable too. But I've also met people that seem to have a lot of fun that have money. And I think you have choices around that as well. But I think given the choice between rich and poor, rich is better than poor. That's just my viewpoint. Asset-based living means you live off the cash flow from your assets. It's actually right out of Kiyosaki's book. Kiyosaki says the rich buy stuff from their asset-based income. The poor buy stuff from the money they've earned. Therefore, the poor or the middle class never get ahead. So if I want to buy this $90,000 boat with Hal, which we would split some percentage, I would buy it using the money from my passive income. So to me, it's not harming me. But if you earn $200,000 and then you spend fifty grand on a boat, you're probably insane. Because if you earn two hundred, you're paying taxes of sixty. Now you're going to buy a $50,000 on a boat, that's 110 grand. You're spending too much of your money. But on the other hand, if you make 200 earned and then you have, you know, property that generates 100,000 a year, you could probably take all of that 100 if you wanted to and just spend it on living and you would never necessarily go backwards. You can never get ahead living off earned income. And if you stay below the money you earn from passive income or horizontal income as we call it, you can never fall behind because the assets are always there and they're always growing. I liken it to a guy that wins the lottery. He wins a million bucks in the lottery. One guy chooses 100000 a year for 10 years, and he lives off of it, and he lives large, and he has a great life. The other guy takes the million dollars, and he goes and buys 10 single-family homes, 200 grand a piece, so he puts a mortgage on them. So now he's got a million just like the other guy had, but he has $2 million worth of real estate. Now, because of taxes and managing that, he has to live on 60000 a year. 
because it's a little bit less money. There's a little bit more expenses. So he lives on 60,000 a year, but he puts them all on 15 year notes. In 15 years, those houses are all paid off. Now he has 2 million in assets. They probably appreciated in 15 years at least double. So they're probably three or 4 million in assets. Now with no mortgage payments, he's living on closer to $150,000 a year. And that's the difference between asset-based living versus living off of your earnings. You should look at every dollar you earn as 10 cents a year in income. So every $10 you earn is $1 a year in income. And if you really get that, from my perspective, you are on the beginning of that pathway to financial freedom. So every $10 you earn is $1 a year in passive income forever. So if I earn $100 and I go spend it on a latte or like a dinner, I just gave up $10 a year for the rest of my life in income. And that's okay to do that, but just understand what you're sacrificing. So if you earn $100,000, and you blow 50,000 of it on a boat like we just discussed, that 50,000 could be 5,000 a year for the rest of your life in income at a 10% return. So if I was looking at this boat off of earnings, I would never buy it. But if I'm looking at it off of income, off my passive income sources, then I can always be growing my asset base without sacrificing my future wealth. Because you want to be financially free at some point in America. And you want to be financially free the sooner the better in America because you have that opportunity. So the question is, how do you get there? And the way you get there is you respect your capital and you invest it wisely. And you may sacrifice a little bit in the short term, but in the long run, you'll be financially free. And if you put aside, say, 20,000 a year over 10 years, that 20,000 becomes $200,000, but with compounding is now 500,000. And if you've invested it with that 10% return, you're earning 50,000 a year passive. That's in 10 to 20 years. So that's a tiny example of what could occur. But if you have that 50,000 year passive and you're still earning 100 or 75 or 150, you're changing your entire life's destiny by creating assets that create cash flow versus living off your earned income. That's awesome. You talk about wealth traps in the book. Yeah. Talk about some of these wealth traps that we can fall into. So the biggest one is the cushy job trap. You know, and to me, the cushy job is like you're working at the post office or you're a skiing instructor in Vail. I know a skiing instructor in Vail that works like 200 days a year. He goes to Australia. He's one of the best skiing instructors in the world. And yet he's turning 50 now. His knees aren't feeling that good anymore. You know, at his peak, he was making probably 120000 a year as a ski instructor. He owns one house. Guess where the majority of his net worth is? In that house, right? So he bought one house. It's probably worth one hundred and twenty. He paid it off. He's super conservative. And I'm like, have you ever thought of buying another house? He goes, I've thought about it a bunch. I've just never been able to do it. And I'm like, well, imagine if you just bought one more house, you'd have doubled your net worth, right? So he's had a cushy job. He loves his job. He's not financially free because he got so committed to that cushy job that he never found a way to break away. And I think that's what I see a lot of people doing is, is they fall into a job, they're making 100 a year, they think that's enough, and they don't have any tactics or strategies to build their financial freedom. And so that's one of the big ones is the cushy wealth job. You talk about risk avoidance. Being afraid of taking risks. I mean, the biggest risk in life is not taking risk, in my opinion. And I used to be terrified of some of the risks I took. Opening a business is terrifying. Anyone in here open a business before? So you never know what's going to happen. You think you're going to fail. You're like, you wake up every day and that fear of failure is like energizing you. It drives you. I mean, really the fear is good. It's fodder. It's energy for your soul. But my first real estate office I opened up, I remember like I would just not be able to sleep at night. I'd be awake, like watching. We'd do a lease. Like my company would make $300 on our side of the brokerage fee from a lease. I'd be like, we got a lease. Thank you, Lord, for the lease. 
And that was because my overhead was 15,000 a month. I had to cover that every month. I had 35,000 to my name back then. So, you know, two bad months, I could be out of business. I did have partners. So, you know, you've got to take risk in life. You've got to step out. What's the risk really? Like in America, very few people starve. It's hard to starve in America. If you have family, they'll usually feed you. You know, there are people out there that'll look after you. So you're afraid of the risk, but especially when you're young, the big risk is shelter. How many people live on the streets? Like a lot of people do, but a lot of them have sadly mentally disabled or it's a choice. Like they don't want to live, you know, so we work with the guys that do a lot of, they're trying to take all the homeless off the streets of Austin. And one thing I didn't know that I learned recently is a lot of homeless people, they don't want a roof over their head. They want to be under the stars, whether they're expats or they just want to be outside. So there's a lot going on with the homeless. But generally speaking, if you failed in business, you're probably not going to starve and you're probably not going to be without shelter. So really, what are you risking? You know, you're not risking that much. So from my point of view, risk aversion stops mm-hmm. a lot of people. I, I met this really smart guy the other day and I really like him and I was heartbroken. He said, I bought all these real estate books 15 years ago and I read them all and they made total sense to me, but I never bought a house. I just thought it was too expensive. And this is about Austin. 10 years ago, I'm like, oh man, Tommy, I wish you bought two houses. Your life would be so different if you'd bought one house because Austin's more than doubled in 10 years. You know, like just that one house he could have bought, just that one house would have doubled his social security. Like that's risk aversion just embodied in that person. An incredibly intelligent guy, smarter than me, did all the research, just could never bring himself to take action. So that's a trap. One of the things I've learned from you is you're very conscious of, who is in your circle of influence, your social circle? Talk about that. Well, you are the five people you hang out with the most. That's from Napoleon Hill. So you want to mastermind. Who heard it from Hal Elrod? Let's yeah, just Hal be clear Elrod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you want to be, it's so difficult to be an eagle if you're surrounded by a bunch of ducks. Not that I got anything against ducks. It's very hard to achieve at a very high level if you're around people that don't have any expectations for themselves. On the other hand, if you're around people that are Olympic athletes or world-renowned authors or amazing consultants and coaches, then it's like you almost feel like it's just normal to be successful. So you really want to hang out with amazingly successful people. I wasn't that athletic as a kid. I was not unathletic, but I wasn't that athletic. But now I hang out with people that are always up to something. They're always physically doing stuff. And guess what? I'm more athletic today than I ever have been in my entire life. I work out with a trainer. I do 240 workouts a year. I hike, I ski, I do all this. I go heli skiing with people like Mike McCarthy, who's an amazing skier, who kind of hurt me the other day because somebody said, what's better, your golf game or your skiing? I said, well, I think they're about equal. And Mike said, no way, dude, you're a way better golfer. I'm like, oh, man, that kind of hurts. But um, that's why I didn't go heli skiing this year, no. So, uh, so I'm around athletic people, which forces me to be, it doesn't force me to be more athletic. We're like clay. We move towards whoever around. If you're around successful people, you will be successful. It's like hard not to be. If you're around people with integrity, you'll have more integrity. If you're around people that are crooks, you'll have more. I've noticed when I was in college and I was with guys that were always talking about chicks and chasing women, I was kind of trying to do the same thing in a nerdy, dorky, kind of ineffective way. But I was like, oh yeah, she's hot. Oh yeah. And then when I'm around straight, upstanding family people, I'm more of a family guy. That's the human nature, right? So you want to really protect who you hang out with. Make sure you're with winners in all areas of life. Great family people, people that look after their health, people that are successful in business, whatever you choose. If you want to give and spend your whole life in contribution, like my friend Scott Harrison from Charity Water, who's not driven by money, but by fixing all the water in the world because there's not enough clean water, He's an amazing human. And if you want to do a lot in philanthropy, I'm sure his best buds are all philanthropic based. And that's inspiring to me. And I think I'm going to move that way as I get older. So it's whoever you choose to be. If you don't surround yourself with the like-minded people, 
you'll probably fail. You may be the exception, but people will either tear you down or lift you up. I'm just very protective of being around people that lift me up. Yeah, that's awesome. I got two more simple questions and then we'll open up for the group. When you think about your future and your own dreams and goals, which I know has always been important to you, what kinds of images or dreams do you have for yourself looking ahead, however far you want to think about, that give you the greatest sense of energy and fuel and motivation? So I think the reason I'm so driven to goal setting is you go back to when I was 19 or 20 and I was going through all that stuff. One thing I realized by taking all these classes is you could kind of craft your own future. You can't script it exactly. But if you choose something, it's a matter of choice. If you choose something, you can get to that eventually. You just have to keep plugging away and applying yourself. And so I became addicted at scripting my own life. Like I'm very goal-driven and maybe a little OCD about it, but I have all my goals back here. I carry them with me everywhere I go. There they are. And, you know, like they're a living, breathing document. I call it the eight gardens of life. So I have relationship first, spiritual contribution, physical nutrition, intellectual health, lifestyle adventure, environment tribe, personal material, and then my business goals. And so, you know, you can find me on Facebook or at davidosborne.com. And if you ask me for this, I'll send you a copy of the template. But I can script anything, right? So what excites me is just whatever I put in here. And then I fall short in many areas, but I add to it. So the other day, I noticed my daughter kind of like Shark Tank. Now, I think being an entrepreneur is the greatest opportunity you have in America. So I immediately added a goal of watch Shark Tank 10 times with my daughter. Like so far, I've failed at that. I haven't done it once, but it's on here. And the odds are that in December, she and I will watch 10 episodes of Shark Tank back to back. She'll be like, Dad, just shut up and watch the show. I got to check off my goals. That's, that's, that's about where my dad comes in. But So I'm doing everything I can, understanding that she's her own being and she's going to be whoever she's going to be. I'm doing everything I can to expose my daughter to entrepreneurialism and what that looks like. So I just kind of crafted this. And in answer to two other things, like, so it's so important to me who I hang out with that I have a group now in Austin called The Nines. And to get in the group, you have to be worth over $100 million. And I always have to caveat this. Money isn't everything. I totally get that. But usually if you're worth $100 million, you're up to something. There's like a certain characteristic type. <laughs> you know, like you, they're not just like eating Doritos and watching reruns of you know, Days of Our Lives all day, right? They're up to something. So I set a mission of masterminding with them twice this year. I got them in once. So I just invited these guys. And you think about prospecting and how you take a risk. And I used to be afraid of prospecting that I got good at it. I wasn't afraid of it, but I'm nervous emailing like nine guys worth over a hundred million. A couple of them are 50 or 80 million and say, Hey, would you guys like to get together for four hours to mastermind? Right. Right. I'm exposing myself to possible rejection. I'm exposing myself to like nobody shows up. I'm sitting there all by myself like, Oh, this failed. And the way I get those people around me going back to, because I want to be around people that I can learn from, that I can expand from. And the way you win with those people, like anyone in life, is serving them. So it's like, how can I be of service? What could be so compelling that they're willing to sit in a room for four hours? And that's how I approach that. I'm always trying to find something new, whether it's how to start a foundation or last time it was something called conservation easements, which is kind of a tax opportunity that also buys green land for the future. So it's always like, what could be interesting to a person worth $100 million that is bombarded constantly? And the reason I do that is because I know that if I hang around with better and smarter people constantly, then I'm going to be forced to grow. And then lastly, in terms of my vision, like I have a five-year vision. I keep it, this is my work journal, but at the very back, I have my five-year vision and I keep it with me everywhere I go and I read it, you know, not as often as I probably should. I really enjoy writing it more than everything. So every year or so I rewrite it. And it's right here. And I'm like five years from now, I'm 54 years old. My wife's 47. I put in here, my boy Jackson is four. Well, 
I named him Luke, so I got to change that, right? So, so I got Luke. But I put in here, here's the basics. We're in great physical shape. We eat very well. I hired a nutritionist and an organic chef because I wanted to improve my diet. And by having that person cook delicious food for me, I've improved my diet. We've been only doing it for about a year, but what's, what's amazing to me now is I've started noticing I go to restaurants I used to love, and it tastes so salty because they use so much salts at restaurants, right? And I eat it, and I'm like, ah, I almost can't eat this anymore. And it's so sad because I used to love eating out. I work with my personal trainer who focuses on biomechanics. I have a killer trainer. I love her. She teaches the stacking order. My relationship with Tracy is great. She does her projects, which keeps her happy. You know, relationship I have to work at a lot because I move so fast. Sometimes my loved one is like, hey, what about me? And I'm like, what, what about you? What exactly can I do for you? She's like, don't be so intense. I'm like, okay. Hey, honey. <laughs> you know, it's like, talk about a lot of work, right? It's a... It's, uh, but it's a beautiful thing. And when we're getting along well, like we are right now, I'm like, wow, I'm just, I mean, it's working and it's working in a different way than everything else. My intensity does not serve me in my relationship. It's more like companionship. So, and what I put up here is always remember your focus determines your reality. And that was written by George Lucas. Any other Star Wars geeks in here? I put here, Luke is a fireball. He has lots of energy, is constantly moving. But what's funny is he's not really like, so I've got Luke and now he's just like this chill baby. He's not, he's like, He just smiles. That's all he ever does. He never cries or anything except when he's hungry. Contribution is a mainstay of my life. We give away millions of dollars every year. We support a lot of projects from charity water to scholarships to health and microfinance. My friendships are amazing. I'm incredibly lucky enough to have amazing friends around me, champions of business and life. Uh, We live in three locations. My private equity fund now has a billion under management. The team is going strong, blah, 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 blah. So I put all this stuff in here. And I'm super excited about all of it. And even though it may change radically, John, like I got to craft that and script Mm -hmm. it. And that's what I enjoy. I enjoy engaging fully with life, choosing the future I want. And then sometimes it goes my way and sometimes it doesn't. But one thing's for sure, I'm participating as fully as I can. And if I fail, I get up, recraft, rescript, and go back to work. I said I had two more, but I just thought of another one. And I, you'll be okay with this. You just talked about how important it is for you to contribute and do that through people that you want to be around. One of the ways that you found, you created a way to do that, and I know Mike McCarthy is a big part of this, is through the GoBundance tribe. Oh, yeah. I'd love to hear for this group, and a number of them know about GoBundance, but some of the lessons that that journey has taught you and about surrounding yourself and creating environments for others to learn with. Because there's a lot of folks in this room who, I know they have a desire to build their own tribe. And so you've done that in different environments. And the GoBundance one is one that's been really successful. Well, keep in mind, we're terrible at social media. We just have like 130 guys that show up on a regular basis. One thing I've learned in my journey is this. You've got to have accountability. I see a lot of really smart people miss this. And I don't know quite how to phrase it. You need tough love. I mean, I'm lucky enough to have a friend for 20 years called Pat Hyben. And and we would share our goals. and. Pat's got like a mean streak, like a dark side to him. And if I didn't do what I said I would, he'd send me an email. Hey, dude, are you just going to talk the talk and not walk the walk like so many people in life? Or are you going to actually do what you said you're going to do? And I'd receive that email. I'm like, ouch, that hurts. But it helped get me back on track and on purpose. And so Pat and I, for 20 years, have held each other accountable. And by the law of reciprocity, if he was ever falling short on his goal, guess what? I'd be like, yo, do you walk? You know, like, so, and then we added Tim and Tim brought like health into it. Before that, we only focused on business and financial freedom. Tim brought us health. We added adventure. We added family and being an authentic family person. And then we did this for like 10 or 15 years. And the accountability grew each one of us. We all got stronger because of it. 
And then about five years ago, we just said, let's see if anyone else wants to do this. And like Mike showed up. Mike went and climbed Kilimanjaro with us. And immediately we bonded with Mike and he loved it. He's like, thank you for this accountability. Let's talk every time we get together. How are you on track? How are you off track? Where are you doing a good job as a family man? Where are you not? Where are you doing a good job with your business? Where are you not? And each person would present and then get feedback like a board of directors for their life. And then Mike joined us and then we invited more people and it kind of blew up and suddenly we had 130 members. And that's what we do. We get together, we have what we call extreme accountability. Each person talks about their life on something called the one sheet to a table of maybe five or six guys and they all give them feedback. And what's amazing to me is how effective it is. I was taught it, so we didn't invent this. We were taught it by a guy called Fred Gross. Very few people in Fred's class actually did it because Fred was pretty soft on accountability, but we built our tribe around doing it and actually being accountable. And what it's shown me, John, is that this stuff really works. It works like, I got an email, so this is funny. I was coaching a guy yesterday It wasn't an email, it was a voice conversation. And he's come so far. He has three martial arts schools up in the Carolinas. And he said to me, I have a picture of five guys on my wall, like my five mentors. And he said, one of them is my pastor. One of them is Tony Robbins. He said, one of them is you. One of them is Hal Elrod. And the last one is Jesus. I'm like, whoa! (laughs) Like, I hope you have Jesus, like, higher. And then Hal right below me. And and he's like, I'm like, that is so touching. And this kid's come so far. When I talked to him two years ago, he said, I want to have a date night with my girl, like, six, six times, whatever, a certain number of times. And he reminded me that I said to him, Okay, that's great. I love that you won the date night with your girl. I want you to have a date night with your numbers as well every month because you're so bad at your numbers and you're just talking gibberish. And a lot of people do. They talk gibberish. They confuse gross with net, which is a very important distinction. And you ask people, how's your business doing? Great. What's the revenue? A million dollars. Is that net or gross revenue we're talking about? Oh, what? (laughs) I brought in a million dollars from my sales. And then I gave 700,000 to the affiliates and I had 300 and then I paid my assistant 200. So you really made 100, right? So let's just clarify that distinction. It's very important you know your numbers. And so this guy's come so far. Like the first conversation was like, he's speaking Chinese and I'm speaking Japanese. We're not connecting. And this time I'm like, wow, you've come so far. I'm really impressed with how far you've come. And so that's super awesome that it works. And more importantly, I was honored I was shocked, honestly, that like he had those five people. I really think there's, but it was really cool to have like that kind of feedback that we're pouring it out. We're giving everything we can and some guys are changing their lives because of it. And that's incredibly rewarding. That's awesome. I have a feeling what you just shared about extreme accountability can be great inspiration for what you do with your pods. You know, they're sitting at tables that they formed last night and they get to choose to what extent they hold each other accountable for the rest of the year. So thank you for that. I have some advice for you then, like, don't just listen as a friend. Like we all have friends in our world. We don't come here for friends. Listen from a point of view of, may I share something with you? When you spoke, I noticed you were confusing gross revenue with net revenue. Could I encourage you to really learn that distinction? May I share something with you? Like listen and ask permission first. On a scale of one to 10, Demi, how authentic do you want me to be with you? Would you like me to be one and lie to you to your face or a 10, which is ruthlessly honest? One to 10, what's your comfort level? What would you like? Eight. Eight, okay. (laughs) That's very honest. (laughs) So then I would give you feedback from an eight perspective. You know, like, 
And, that's and that's, so that accountability is how you can serve one another. And you don't serve someone by just saying, hey, great job. I, oh, great. You got a million in gross revenue. Dude, that's awesome. You're so incredible. You don't serve someone with that. We get that all the time. Most of us are pretty successful. We get a lot of compliments. We can hide from ourselves. And the number one thing to being successful for me, like the reason I think I've come from a goofy, dorky kid to a fairly successful guy is I'm committed to authenticity. I'm committed to ruthless honesty. And you serve me much better by saying to me, hey, man, I noticed you were a little short at that party with your wife the other night. Is that who you want to be? Or I noticed you've been traveling for three weeks this month. How much time are you getting with your kid? Or I noticed, by the way, you've put on about 40. You're looking out of shape compared to... You serve me far better by being that person than by somebody who just pats me on the back. A lot of people pat me on the back. I thank them for it, but I don't really need that. And you need to be that stand for one another. Stand for one another's greatness. Don't stand for one another's mediocrity. Awesome. Give that a round of applause. I'm certain there's a lot of questions. What I'm going to do is offline, see if I can talk David into doing one of our masterclass webinars so you can ask him everything. I think he doesn't know what he's agreeing to. (laughs) But uh, I want to be respectful of everybody's time. David, I just want to finish by, on behalf of Hal in this group, telling you that I really believe that your presence here today, and the highest compliment I could attempt to give is, I think people are going to have quantum leaps in every area of their life because of what you shared. And it's not as much because of the wisdom, that's fantastic and it's tremendous, but just getting to see who you are as a person is really the most valuable thing that we got to experience. So thank you for thank being you. here. Can we give David Osborne a big round Thanks, of applause? Hey. Thank you, man. That was really great. Thank you. Oh yeah, you can buy the book online. Wealth can't wait. <laughs> Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. 